Judges chapter 7, I invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me there. Judges chapter 7, if you don't have a copy, uh, grab your insert and the passage for this morning is printed out for you there to follow along. If you're visiting with us, we study books of the Bible here at Ascension. We work through them chapter by chapter, verse by verse, um, and uh, we are now in our seventh week of our study of the book of Judges. We're not picking through this book with a fine-tooth comb, uh, but we are uh, spending some time in it. And remember, this is a book that is not so much about heroes of the faith, but about uh, a hero of a God, we might say, a God whose deliverance is a work of grace, a God whose deliverance is unlikely, (laughs) using unlikely characters and unlikely means, a God who uses and is pleased to use those who are strong in faith and believe His promises and those who are weak in faith and struggling to believe His promises, a God who is patient, we looked at last week, with those who are low, with those who are burdened in their sin, with those who are struggling in unbelief, and then a God who speaks identity over us, a God who says and declares to your hearts who you are. And I hope you've been meditating well on that this past week. As we've learned about all these promises and been reminded of these promises, we've learned about them through the ups and downs of these characters that we have come across, these judges that we have looked at. Uh, We've looked at their frequent failings. We've looked at their occasional triumphs. And last week, we began looking at the story of Gideon, a reluctant deliverer of God's people. And today we pick up his story, and it's a story that is much of the same. More weakness, more fear, and yet the result, and what we need from that, is more of the Lord, more of Yahweh. And so let's listen. I invite you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Judges chapter 7, Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 25, which is indeed the whole chapter. Another long passage. I'll read it quickly. Listen as I read. This is God's holy word. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many. For me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. And so he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, 
was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his own home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down into the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance." When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and it turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the 300 men, excuse me, and the 100 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew their trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands, and the three companies blew the trumpets and broke their jars. They held in their hands, the left hands, the torches, and in their right hands, the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and the army ran. They cried out and fled, and when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled as far as Beth uh, Shittah and toward Zerera, as, as far as the border of Abel, Mahola by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan and they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb, and they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Glory.
Go ahead and be seated. You may or may not know this. I suspect some of you don't know and don't care, but the NBA season uh, recently came to a close with the NBA Finals between the Raptors from Toronto and the Warriors from the Golden State. It's a series that is yearly highlighted in our family, the Hitchcock family, a basketball-loving home. The Raptors came out victorious. We were sad about that. But in a way, this year's champion came as a result of attrition. The season is long. NBA season is very long, 100 100 games, 100-plus games. Basketball is tough on the body, and the Warriors just couldn't stay healthy. Now, some of you I know could care less, but bear with me a moment. It was first their star center, Boogie Cousins, who went down. Yes, his name is Boogie. Boogie Cousins went down, but they made it through the first round. And then their star forward, Kevin Durant, succumbed to an injury, but they made it through that round without him. And then finally, Kevin Durant went down again, and one of their best shooters and star guards got hurt, and they just couldn't survive. They lost. Of course they did. You can't win an NBA championship when you lose a third of your team. It's just not the way the world works. You can't win a war against an army that outnumbers you 100 to 1. That's not the way the world works. But God doesn't work the way of the world. As unlikely, as uncanny deliverance continues for God's people here in Judges chapter 7, we are reminded that the Lord's ways are not the world's ways. Two truths this morning as we walk again through that account that I just blew through. We'll tell the story again. As we walk through this account, I want to look at the what, what just happened, and then why. Why did it happen, and what does it mean for us today? So the first point is this. Kids, if you're taking notes, here we go. God's way is weakness. God's way is weakness weakness. As we jump back into the story, and I know some of you weren't here last week, as we jump back into the story that we began, Gideon at this point in his life, at this point in God's call on his life, has got to be feeling pretty good. He started off feeling pretty weak, pretty inadequate. He was full of excuses for why the Lord shouldn't use him. But now, As we jump into verse 1 of chapter 7, he's feeling pretty good. I mean, at the Lord's prompting and with the Lord's reassurance, Gideon defended the honor of Yahweh by destroying a family idol, a community idol in his town, and, and he didn't lose his life as a result. In fact, not only did he not lose his life, but he got a new name. He got a new name, Jerob Baal, a name that defies the God whose altar he tore down. 
Oh yeah, I'm feeling pretty good now. The Lord clothed him. We looked at that phrase last week. The Lord clothed him with his spirit and enabled him to pull together this massive army, thousands upon thousands of men from the tribes of Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And the Lord reassures, I am with you. The victory is yours. Gideon puts out a fleece. He puts it out again. I am with you, Gideon. So now here Gideon stands, and he is feeling pretty darn good. He's ready for a showdown, a horde of God's people, thousands and thousands energized and ready to fight the enemy that verse 12 says are like locusts in the valley, like sand on the seashore. Verse 12, their camels were without number. Maybe Gideon's a little bit nervous looking at that valley, looking at that number that can't be measured. If he's a little bit nervous, he's about to get real nervous real fast because God's way is weakness. The people are too many, says Yahweh. We need to reduce the forces. Okay, maybe you want to make us leaner and meaner. I got you. I see you, Yahweh. You want to make us lean. That's cool. Strategy number one comes from the Old Testament laws concerning warfare in Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. We read this, and the officer shall speak further to the people and say, is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. So this provision is enacted and 70% of the men leave. But okay, maybe this is a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm trying to think like Gideon here, right? Maybe this is a good thing, Lord. I mean, we don't want the scaredy cats with us because they're just going to wreak havoc when we go down there and fight. So I see what you're doing. You are making us leaner and meaner. But then strategy number two is enacted by the Lord. And the Lord takes things to a surprising, completely unexpected place. Those who stay and those who go will be decided by the way they rehydrate. By the way they drink water. Now, just so you know, just so you don't think there's some obscure little Old Testament law in there or some precedent way back in Israel's, in the annals of Israel's history, there's no precedent for this. There is no obscure law for this. We don't know what the heck is going on with this. And yet some have tried to make something of this. I got, I've, I've got to read you this one commentator. And I quote, God saw how untrustworthy would be those thousands who carelessly indulge under the lore of the flesh over against the 300 who exemplified a spirit of vigilance and disciplined life in the spirit. Thus were selected the strong and resolute, the men who could be trusted under rigorous conditions, who did not think of themselves before the enemy's unexpected assaults. Huh? How did you get that? 
from the way they drink water that suddenly the 300 men that are left are the ones that are strong. They're the ones that are resolute. They're the ones that are filled with the Spirit. They're the ones that are ready. No, this interpretation actually goes against everything that the Lord is doing. Because what is the Lord doing? He wants the weakest there. He wants the 300 weakest to be with Gideon. And through these two methods, one drawn from the Old Testament law, one drawn from the mind of God, here we have 300 men. The Lord has what he wants and gives his stamp of approval to go into battle. Is Gideon scared now? Yeah, he's scared now. I mean, this is a hard truth to swallow, that God's way is weakness, especially when you are staring at an army like sand on the seashore. But what does the Lord do with Gideon? He doesn't even just react to Gideon in his fear. He anticipates Gideon's fear. Just like last week, he is patient with those who are low, those who are struggling to believe. So the Lord says to Gideon, are you afraid? Yes, of course, Lord, I'm afraid. Okay, so go go down into the camp. Just listen. Just listen what's going on. Don't you love the, the tender heart of Yahweh in this moment? He goes down in the camp and Ironically, Gideon is struggling. He has struggled to hear God's word, to believe God's word, and yet the word of this stranger is like, awesome, now I'm feeling good. Of course, it's God's word through a stranger, through a dream where Gideon is likened to a loaf of bread. Don't know what is going on there either, We don't want to make much or anything out of something that's not really anything. But through this dream of a loaf of bread toppling a tent, the Lord assures Gideon through the enemy that the victory is theirs. And of course, at least in my mind, in my Sunday school mind, I've I've got the battle of Gideon and the 300 and the Midianites in my brain from all the Sunday school flyers I've seen and the VeggieTale movie that probably showed my kids at one point. It's a plan. It's a brilliant plan. It's a plan of disruption. It's a plan of misdirection. The Midianites are theirs. The victory is theirs through the way of weakness. Now, there are a number of ways for us to think and to bring this reality into our lives, but I want us to think this morning in terms of mission, in terms of our mission, in terms of our collective mission. After all, Gideon was fulfilling the mission of God in that land. Gideon's mission to conquer and to slaughter is not our mission. Our mission is to make disciples of all nations, to be worshiping, maturing, and multiplying disciples of Jesus, says Ascension's mission statement. So how does this reality, how does this one simple truth, God's way is weakness, encourage us in the mission of God? 
salt and light in a wasting and dark world, ambassadors of a kingdom that is beyond space and time. How can we be encouraged? Well, let me ask you a couple questions. How scary and messed up are your neighbors? Maybe you live in a great neighborhood. Maybe you're clueless about your neighbors. Maybe it's dark over there and you wish they'd mow their lawn and I don't know what's going on in your neighborhood. How weak do you feel relating to them? Or opening your home to them, showing them hospitality? Well, let's go to the workplace. How intellectually intimidating do you find that coworker of yours who studied philosophy at the UW? Seems to have an answer for everything you say. How weak and inadequate do you feel engaging them in matters of faith? Let me ask you this. This is for all of us. How, how strong is the cultural tide against Jesus and those who love him and those who love his word? How strong is that cultural tide? You see, the story of Gideon reminds us that if you feel weak, you are now in the place where God wants to use you. The place where your dependence upon Him will be at its highest. The place where the results, any results that you get privileged to see, they won't be from you and from your cunning. They won't be a matter of pride. If you're weak, you find yourself in the place where Gideon finds himself, in verse 15, that place of worship. Remember, you're not the first. Abraham, remember Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Father Abraham, you are old, you're weak, you're past your prime, you're old, you're too old for a son, but I'm going to do something incredible through you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to cause you to be a blessing to the nations. Moses, you are a chicken. You ran away from conflict. Now you can't even talk. I'm sending you back to that place of conflict, and I'm sending you back to do some talking. David, you're the youngest and the smallest of the sons of Jesse. You are the perfect to kill the giant Philistine that stands against God's people. You are the perfect one, the perfect line for me to send a Savior. God's way is the way of weakness. You haven't been the first and you won't be the last. But why does it have to be that way? <laughs> Lord, why does it have to be that way? No one likes to feel weak, do they? I don't. We intentionally skipped a crucial, crucial verse concerning the why. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my hand has saved me. And that brings us to the second truth this morning, and it's this. God's goal in our weakness is His glory. 
God's goal in our weakness is His glory. We live in a world of copyrights. What's a copyright? A copyright is an exclusive legal right given to an originator to print, publish, perform, film, or record literary, artistic, or musical material and to authorize others to do the same because we all want the credit for what we came up with. And God knows that his people, even people he has loved for generation upon generation, have a tendency to be glory thieves. To think that our cleverness, our strength, our ingenuity, that that is really has what, what has gotten us through. The nation of Israel had been doing it for generations upon generations. God would redeem them, they would worship him, they'd give him the credit, and they would forget him, and they would live as if he does not exist. And you know what? We even see a hint of it in this morning's passage for all the reassurance, for all the supernatural reassurance that the Lord has given to Gideon, that the victory has been won, and that the victory is the Lord's. What do we read again in verse 18? Gideon says, when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets, and they shout, for the Lord! And for Gideon! And for Gideon! The Lord has orchestrated this. This is the Lord and the Lord alone. I mean, as the battle unfolds, we heard about it, we read about it, as the battle unfolds, it's not even a battle. Verse 22 says, when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set man's sword against man. And the army fled. Israel didn't even have swords. The Midianites killed themselves. They took themselves out. All Israel needed to do was run after them. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, was this Gideon's plan? Maybe that's why Gideon wanted to slip in, and for Gideon. But it's the Lord's glory. That's God's goal, but we even see a hint of it in Gideon. Now, maybe you don't know how to feel about this talk. We need to quit, but... Maybe you don't know how to feel about this talk, this focus on glory, because after all, on a human level, we are not fans of those who are glory seekers, are we? Jesus himself said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So what is this? God's goal in our weakness is his Glory, brothers and sisters, God's goal in exalting himself is nothing like you and I exalting ourselves. God's goal for his glory is not some ego trip out of need or out of deficiency. God is not some Instagram star trying to gain as many followers as he can so that he can feel good about himself. God's self-centeredness, God's God-centeredness is pure and absolute good. God's God-centeredness is love. And it's for our good because we were created for Him. Listen to this helpful quote from John Piper, you know, a guy that I like and quote sometimes 
He says this, God is the one being in all the universe for whom seeking his own praise is the ultimately loving act. For him, self-exaltation is the highest virtue. When he does all things for the praise of his glory, as Ephesians 1 says, here's the key sentence, he preserves for us and offers to us the only thing in all the world which can satisfy our longings. God is for us and therefore has been, is now, and always will be for himself. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? And so God uses our weakness to show us our need, to drive us to the one that we were created to know. God wants us humble and broken because the greater our weakness, the greater our dependence, the greater our dependence, the greater his strength, the greater his strength, the greater his glory, the greater his glory, the greater our good. That's how that all works. And it's just shown through the life of Paul, 2 Corinthians 12. We already read Paul earlier but he talks about this thorn in the flesh. Remember that? This thing that, this physical ailment that's bothering Paul. We don't know exactly what it was, but it's this constant reminder of Paul's weakness. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord that it would leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is such good news. And I'm not saying it is easy to do. I'm not saying it's easy to have that mindset. It's hard. Particularly for some of you in this room, it is hard. But in our weakness comes the ability to trust God in new ways. In our weakness comes the reminder that Christ's presence and power are ours. And so, brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you, God's encouragement to you this morning by His Word is to let your weakness, whatever it is this morning, maybe it's a weakness in your flesh, maybe it's a weakness in being obedient to His Word, maybe it's a weakness in mission, in courage, in love, let whatever that is drive you to greater dependency, drive you to display His glory, drive you to greater intimacy with the one who created you for himself, the one who sent his son that he might have you, the one who loves you right now. Before you've done anything for him, with a love too deep for words. I'm going to close with a lyric some lyrics to a song that I love, a song written from one of the prayers of that Puritan prayer book, The Valley of Vision, which sometimes we use from time to time. I've read these lyrics to you before in other contexts. I'm just going to read you the two verses. When you lead me to the valley of vision, I can see you in the heights. And though my humbling wouldn't be my decision, it's here that your glory shines so bright. So let me learn 
that the cross precedes the crown, that to be low is to be high, that the valley is where you make me more like Christ. In the daytime, there are stars in the heavens, but they only shine at night. And the deeper that I go into darkness, the more I see their radiant light. So let me learn that my losses are my gain. To be broken is to heal. That the valleys where your power is revealed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word once again this morning. A word that speaks into our weakness, our brokenness, and reveals your sovereign plan and your design for it all. Oh, give us faith to believe these things, to walk in them by the power of your Spirit for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.